0: In the meantime, I'm going to ask you folks to please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. That's our Old Testament reading this morning. Isaiah 49 through 17, then put your thumb or finger in Romans chapter 3, our familiar passage. Uh, We'll be preaching from Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 9. This is the word of the Lord. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion herald the good news lift up your voice with strength o jerusalem herald of the good news lift it up and fear not say to the cities of judah behold your god behold the god comes the lord god comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with them and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters of the hallow in his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. They are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon will not suffice for fuel, nor are the beasts enough for burnt offering. All the nations are nothing before him. They are as they are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Our New Testament reading, I'll ask you to please turn with me to Romans chapter 3, which I'm sure are familiar verses. If they haven't been by now, they should be. We're going to begin in verse 21, and we'll read through 31. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of those of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what has become of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that no one is justified I'm sorry, for one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. All right, that's a mouthful. We're going to be going through that this morning. Let us pray to the Lord. Father in heaven, we do come before you in prayer. We're well aware of our need, Lord God, of our inadequacies, Lord, and um, how our minds wander and our hearts drift away, Lord. I pray that you would cause us to... Be aware, Lord, that you would illuminate our hearts and give us understanding and, and bring, Lord, that understanding to our lives that we may know you better and serve you more fully, Lord God, and love you uh, more deeply, Lord, and that that love would be expressed in our lives to the ones who are directly involved in our lives, to those whom we see and meet, Lord God. May they see the light of Christ in us as we live for you through your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, please bless this message. Be with me. I, pray, Lord, that I would bring forth your word, your message, Lord God, even as all of us together sit at the feet of our teacher and master, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, praise God. Well, you know, we've done some heavy lifting, I guess, as far as you can in sermons. I've and let you know last week that as we go through this, you need to take more on yourself. This kind of just wets the appetite. There's a little bit of depth here theologically to understand and how that works out. But hopefully, um, you know, you are delving in even deeper. You can only do so much in sermons. You need that further study as we go along. But we have done some heavy lifting in a couple of weeks, a bit more today. We talked about justification, redemption, and propitiation, that's the very heart of the gospel, and what it means that Jesus died, that died on the cross, and that he rose from the dead. That's what we've been fleshing out, and talking about the last few weeks, or at least a couple weeks. And today, I just want to bring it all together, or hope to bring it all together, as we talk about this section as a whole, the, the passage that I read this morning. And... do want to uh, jump ahead just a little bit to verse uh, 23 especially, where you know the passage. Most every Christian has this memorized, right? For all have sinned and fall short. When you're witnessing to somebody, this is one of our main passages. One of the first passages you probably memorize, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's very important for us. Paul is just summing up in one sentence there everything that he's been saying before this from Romans one eighteen to 3.20. That's all he's doing, really. But it just captures the essence of who and what we are apart from Christ, right? Listen, we were created to glorify God. Do you know that? That's why he created us, to glorify him. Our shorter catechism Uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, the very first question, and I know some of you probably know this. I'm putting it up there anyway. What is the chief end of man? What's man's chief end? What was man made for? Not just Christians, but mankind. He was made. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Understand this. When we talk about this verse, verse uh, 23, as image bearers, of God, as, as the crown, listen, we are the crown, the crowning glory of God's creation. Do you know that? We are the, the crowning glory of his creation. All of this, everything that you see out there has been created by him for his glory and for you, for us, for our good, to live, to manage, to enjoy. Don't you love it? And I just love that the world is not just, the creation it's not just functional, You know, there's not just enough there for us to live, but it's beautiful as well and how that works together. That shows how wonderful the depth of the goodness of God and His grace. You know, we we look at the trees, the flowers, the fields. They're beautiful, but they also serve a function as they help maintain life. We see that throughout the creation. Isn't He so good to us? It was created for us by Him for His glory functional and beautiful as well that's why david in uh, psalm 8 i mean i have to just read it you can turn if you like but i'm just going to read psalm 8 as uh, david cries out to the lord and says this "O lord our lord how majestic is your name in all the earth you have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger when i look at your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you should care for him? Amen. He's just in amaze, amazement at what God has done for us. We are made with a crowning glory of creation and we are to glorify God. And yet, as we've learned, and as you know, since the fall, we have failed to glorify him as we ought to. We have fallen short of the glory of God and the glory of God revealed not only in natural revelation, but especially the glory revealed in his word and in his law, in our conscience, in our hearts, the glory that is due God. See, we fall short as we fail to honor him, to worship him, to obey him, to reverence him, to trust him, to praise him, to acknowledge him, to love him, to give thanks to him, to depend upon him, to keep his commandments, we fail, we fall short of the glory of God, as we simply do not desire to know his ways and, and his will. How many people did, did you know, actually, and you can even count some Christians among this, but but most people that you know, how how... Desperately are they looking for God? Are they searching for God's will? Are they looking to say, you know, what does God, do they give thanks? Even, you know, I'm not trying to sound arrogant or haughty in any way, but even like the food that you receive, they don't realize that that's a gift from God. And that's a, we we owe him our thanks. Thank you, Lord, for providing this. People don't even think like that, right? God's not even in their mind. They're chasing after what they want. They simply live to promote and please themselves. That's for sure. To satisfy every desire that they have with no, no regard for the God who made them. We fall short of the glory of God, and we do not glorify him as we ought to. Again, that's what Paul's been spelling out since chapter 118 through 320. We were created by God, we were created for God, and yet our sin has separated us from our God, and we fail to glorify him as we ought to. And that shows us We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Our sin teaches that, doesn't it? That we have fallen short of the glory that he deserves. Of everything that I mentioned and more, that sin shows us that we fall short. We've seen how God in his sovereign grace and his sovereign mercy and his sovereign love reaches down to pitiful sinners like us. He justifies the guilty, amen. He redeems those captured by sin. He turns sinners into saints, Enemies into the beloved, strangers into sons and daughters of God. That's what we were at one time, all these things. He's brought us into the kingdom of his son. We learn what it means that the lost are found, that the deaf hear, that the blind see, that the dead are made alive, what it means to be born again, to to be born from above, to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We learn this. He does this by sending his son who willingly left the glories of heaven to be born in order to die to save his people from their sins. Matthew 121 tells us this. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Here's his mission. For he will save his people from their sins. On the cross, as we've learned, he propitiates the father's wrath. He satisfies divine justice. Thereby opening the way, as it were, to justification, redemption, reconciliation, adoption, sanctification, and ultimate glorification. Amen. That's a Christian life. Praise God for that. At the cross, the blood, the shame, and the wrath is what glorified God the Father as he poured out his wrath on the Son. Do you understand that? Do you realize that? Even in John, John chapter 12, we're told this. This is, the context is a triumphal entry. Jesus says, finished his 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 ministry he comes in he's heading towards the cross triumphal entry and we read this jesus said now my soul is troubled and what shall i say father save me from this hour but from this for this purpose i have come to this hour father glorify your name then a voice came from heaven said i have glorified it and i will glorify it again That's so important to understand that voice from heaven as the father is commending the son and he's saying to him, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. So on the one hand, he says, I've glorified it in you, son, as you've lived a perfect life, as you have you've lived the obedient life, you've kept the law at every single point, and I will glorify it, that's speaking to his atoning death on the cross and his glorious resurrection and his ascension into heaven. That's what it's all about. That's what we've been talking about, that he secures the salvation of all the elect, of all of those who by grace put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation this is just all that was all just kind of a recap of what we've been studying for the last whatever since since chapter 1 verse 18 um he goes on and and demonstrates his righteousness and how god is glorified in two ways and that's what i want us to look at today especially look at verse uh 25 Well, we'll read from 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to stop there, and I want us to talk about these passages uh, this morning as as we look at this. It says in um, 25b that this was to show the righteousness, because in divine forbearance he passed over former sins. What's that mean? What's that say? That's a a little bit of a tough passage. He passed over former sins? What are you talking about? God didn't judge people in the past when they said... Listen, we know this from Scripture. We know from um, Tota Scriptura, what Scripture teaches regarding sin, regarding man, that this does not mean, doesn't mean that before the cross, before Jesus went to the cross on Calvary, that sins were automatically forgiven, like people got a free pass for their sins. It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean... That they could sin with impunity before Jesus went to the cross, it was okay. You sin, we're not counting that against you and your divine forbearance. There's, there's nothing you, you know, you don't have to really worry about that. It's not what he's saying there. It's not that they didn't suffer consequences for their sins. People did. Again, we know this from reading the Old Testament. We know this from reading uh, Scripture. We know that people died. That's the penalty of sin. They, they did suffer the consequence of sin. In Acts seventeen thirty, we read this says the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent that's from acts seventeen thirty as the gospel is going out, even though he says that it were still it doesn't mean that people weren't accountable to God, right they were still accountable to God, we know that from Romans one we know that from being created in god's image, their sinful ways showed it showed that they needed salvation they didn't have the full revelation of that yet okay so it's kinda of compatible with what paul is saying here it doesn't mean that sins were automatically forgiven before the cross of christ came here's the idea of this verse understand this get this the idea is that the cross in the public display of christ that's why it was a public display that's why he sent his son forth so everybody could see the whole world on the highest mountain could see christ being crucified. There's a reason for that. It wasn't in, you know, some place set out in the back in the woods somewhere. This was a public display of Christ on the cross. In that... God's righteousness, his wrath, his justice was on full display as it were, right? For the whole world to see. We still talk about it today. We sang about it this morning. That's that wrath poured out on the sun, on Calvary, on full display for the whole world to see. Who crucified Christ? It was the Jews and the Gentiles. It was an entire world. So when he's on the cross, it showed that sin would be dealt with. It would be reckoned with. The Old Testament ceremonial laws, the sacrifices, the feasts, they all pointed forward to this. And for those, like Abraham, that we're going to look at next week, those who looked forward by faith to Christ, you could say the, the cross reaches back, as it were, and secures that salvation. In God's mind, he's not bound by time. It was already secure anyway. But here at this fullness of time, as Christ is on the cross, it's as if the the, the the cross reaches back in secure salvation for all those who believe before the time of Christ, before Christ went to the cross. At the very same time, at the very same time, the cross guaranteed that non-believing, non-believing people would bear the penalty of their sin. Does that make sense to you? That's what's going on, the public display. It's not that those sins weren't going to be dealt with or overlooked. They were as good as dealt with because of God's eternal decree. But that public display of Christ being crucified was to show that, right? Sin is dealt with. It's going to be reckoned with in that way. For those who believe, they're covered by Christ. Who? Do not believe you're going to bear that sin yourself. God's righteousness is vindicated. That's why he says here. It was to show God's righteousness because of divine forbearance. He had passed over former sins. Not that he had forgiven sins. But this vindicates God, God's righteousness. The cross does kind of across the ages, if you want to put it in that way. It's confirming the reality of God's redemptive plan, which he decreed from all eternity, Ephesians 1.4. From all eternity, he chose us in Christ. This is the working working that out. You still look confused. Let me put it this way for you. Let me put it this way. This shows, what I just read in that passage, it shows that no one gets away with sin. Okay? That's what it shows. (laughs) Nobody's off the hook in that way. It must be accounted for, and at the cross, it was fully accounted for. For those who believe in Jesus Christ, he has paid the sin debt for you. Amen? Praise God. That's why we're happy people. That's why we rejoice. That's why we know we're going to heaven. Amen? That's a good thing. But for those who do not believe in Christ, well, you're going to have to bear that penalty yourself. It's on you. That's what this means. John 3.36 tells us this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, amen, and praise God. Whoever does not obey the Son, if you don't obey Jesus, if he doesn't have a place in your heart, if you're not trusting in him, if you don't love him, if you don't obey the Son, you will not see life. But the wrath of God remains upon him. Remember that. That's really important. What's that teaching us? I teach this over and over. It means if you're not believing in Christ, it's not that you come into the wrath of God. It's already that you're under the wrath of God. And you're going to have to bear the punishment from your sins. That's why it's so beautiful to trust in Christ because he takes our sins for us. That's the whole point of what we've been talking about overall in Christ. So does that make better sense to you when he, when he talks about It's not that he said, oh, God, don't worry about your sin. That doesn't count at all. It counts. But it's paid for by Christ. That's why the cross, the cross is the universal symbol of Christianity. I mean, you know, we kind of use it as fashion and this, that, and the other thing, but the cross, when we look at the cross, it is that universal symbol of Christianity, of what we believe, because it's an instrument of death, but it's an instrument of death that opens the way to eternal life. Amen? And praise God. So we sang, even about the rugged cross this morning. God, righteousness is on display. That at Calvary, full display for the world to see. Right? Either you come to Christ, your sins are covered, or you're going to have to bear it yourself. Somebody's going to pay for sins. Then he goes on to say this. Verse 26, It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Again, this is just beautiful. This is wonderful that at the same time, God is just and the justifier. People say, well, how can that be? You know, how? This is how. This is how. Through the redemptive work of Christ, God is both just and the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. Simply put, we we'll just put it real simple. At the cross, God treated Jesus as though he lived your sinful life. And he punished that sin and he was just in punishing that sin because without the punishment of sin, we would not have a just God. We have this illustration all the time. We know how we feel about judges who don't carry out justice. You don't love those guys. You don't say, Oh, you're a wonderful judge for letting that murderer, that rapist off the hook. And you know, Oh, cause you're so kind and nice and sweet. We justice demands there's punishment there. And so a righteous judge will do that every single time. We talked all about that last week, so we're not going to spend too much time. But, but the idea is that at the cross, God treated Jesus as though he lived your sinful life. And so he's just in dealing with that sin and punishing it. For all who believe, he treats you, and listen to this, he treats you just as if you lived Jesus' perfect, sin, sinless life. He's the justifier of those who have faith in him. That's how he could do it. That's how he does it. That's why Christ is our substitute. That's why Christ is our sin bearer. That's why Christ came forth to do this for us. Do you understand? This is, this is the essence of Christianity. This is the heart of the gospel. For all who believed, he treats you as if you lived Jesus' perfect sinless life. That's what Martin Luther and the reformers called what? The great exchange. Aren't you glad for the great exchange? 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, for you, because he loves his people. He made him, that's Jesus, the son, to be sin. That's on the cross when he bore the punishment of sin, who knew no sin, that in him, that's in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That's exactly what Paul say here He says it there in Corinthians. That's what we're teaching this morning. The great, great, great exchange. All his righteousness to you imputed, all your sin imputed to him, he pays for it. Salvation then is all of grace and all of God. Amen? Praise God. That's what he said. That's how he's the just and the justifier of all those who believe. Now, here's the deal. Here's the thing. Here's what's important for all of us. When you come as a Christian to realize this, and I, this is where we want to come as Christians, man. We want to realize this. This is why it's important to study theology. This is why it's important to know doctrine. Yes, it's cool. It's amazing to be saved and we love Christ. But the more you know, the deeper you, you, you grow, not just intellectually and theologically. You grow in your love and your amazement and your awe for a God who would save you like this. That's a, a big deal in the Christian life because then that motivates us to live as we ought to. To live the way that we should, the way we want to, the way we're commanded to by him. So when you come to fully realize and fully appreciate what Christ has done. Every true believer, when you think about this, when you understand this, when you meditate on this, every true believer is left in stunned amazement, is left in awe. That's why you read the Puritans and you're amazed at their depth and their, that's what they were just realizing and understand what they have and who they are in Christ. That's it. And it just comes out in our lives in adoration for God, speechless humble, profoundly humble, in prolonged humility. Every day we're humble. We're not just humble for a day. We're humble that He would set His love on us. Right? Aren't you? When you think about it, how, why me, Lord God? Thank you. I love you. Forever grateful. Not just for a day, but forever grateful. Knowing that we cannot contribute even one iota to our salvation. Not one little thing that you could do to be saved. He saved you by his grace alone. Do you understand that? That's why, that's why I get uh, not upset, but I get, I don't know, maybe upset, something, when I don't see us as being as serious as we should be about our faith. We treat Jesus like he's a commodity in our life. Or he's just kind of over there and we just go on with our lives and do we should be consumed with Christ and the love of Christ should drive us and, and define us. And this is who we are. So like, like as, as pastors and elders, we want you to know so you grow in love and understanding so you have that zeal and that confidence and that hope that comes by knowing these things. This is how much he loved me. This is what he's done. So we simply say, oh, Jesus died for my sins. Yeah, okay, cool. That's nice. That's good. But you know what that means that he died for your sins. You're finding that out. You're being reminded today so your love and dependence grows even deeper. No true Christian, no true Christian could ever say, it's because I tried, that's why he saved me. Because I was a good little boy, I was a good girl, and I I said my prayers, and I read my Bible, and I went to my, no true Christian, you know that if you're in Christ. You you can't say that, because you know your heart. You can't say, no true Christian said, well, I figured it out. I learned this, it just, you know, I just, I, I just got it, yeah, I just, I I figured this out, so I think, yeah, I'm going to believe in him. No, no. No true Christian, and I want you to hear this, could ever say, I chose him. No true Christian. If you're a Christian this morning, in your heart of hearts, you cannot say that I chose Christ. I placed my faith in Christ. I believed in Jesus Christ by his grace, but he chose me. I didn't choose him. If you think about your salvation, no true Christian can say, I'm a pretty good person. If you people, hear people say, well, I think I'll get them because I'm a pretty good person. And God kind of knows that. Me and God have this thing between us and he, he kind of knows that I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good. And he gets me. Jesus gets me. Um, yeah. No, every believer, every single believer understands that, that this isn't true. Right? We know what we are apart from Christ. We don't sit there and call ourselves wretches and lowly and you know decreasing and increasing because we want to try to sound humble. It's just the truth. When we when we're like that, when we know what we are, and who we are in Christ, and what we are apart from Christ, it, we freely admit we, we're wretches. There's, there's, that's a good thing because He builds us up and He 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 places us on high and He loves us. It's kind of like the opposite of self-esteem movement. You know, when you realize who you are, I'm a wretch, but in Christ, I'm a son and daughter of the Most High God. That's where my identity is. That's why we feel good, not because I'm such a great person and I'm... No, it's the opposite of self-esteem movement. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. People don't like to call themselves wretches. I'm not a wretch, you're a wretch. I mean, we could say that. Because we know that in Christ we're not. Because he's redeemed us from being wretches in that way. I am so unworthy, but you still love me. Amen? Praise God. And nothing's going to take that love away from me. Don't you love that? That's what we have in Christ. I can't say it better than Spurgeon, so check this out. And if you want this, ask Laura after the service. You should write this down and just have this. Spurgeon said, the more unworthy you feel yourself to be, the more evidence have you that nothing but unspeakable love could have led the Lord Jesus to save such a soul as yours. Amen? Spurgeon says it so nicely. Wonderfully. Any other way? Any other religion? Now, listen to this. To your friends, to people who question, there's a lot of different paths. We're living in a very syncretistic age, as Luke was talking about earlier. Bringing things in, bringing things out. Religions, different religions, different philosophies. Understand it gives, they all give you something to boast about. The only Christianity takes away any kind of boast that you might have about yourself, right? You boast. You take credit for. You're more diligent maybe than others at your belief. You muster up that faith to believe. You master your emotions. You quell your desires. You work on being kind. You work on being a better person. You work on being humble. You work on being thankful. You work on being faithful. Every other philosophy, every other religion kind of is like that. You, 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 you. But then you're supposed to be humble and say, no, well, you know, just a little bit of me. No. There's none of you. None of you in Christianity. It's all of him. So, you do all these things with the hopes of being enlightened, right? The hopes of being accepted, the hopes of being, oh, I hope he forgives me. I hope I find favor in his eyes. I hope I get to this better place, that kind of thing. But it always leaves you empty. Paul says, no, it's Christ alone. It was to show his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? What becomes of it? It's gone. Every other thing will make you boast just a little bit. And we love that because we love to have a little bit of credit, just a little tiny bit, a thin, all Christ. (sighs) He goes on to say, it's excluded by what kind of law? By the law of works? See, I've done my works. No, 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 no way. there's, There's boasting in that. No, but by the law of faith. And I think this is more kind of a play on words as he's kind of playing against the works of the law, Paul saying that you know one's trying to be justified by that. We know that no one is justified. We know, I'm sorry, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God only the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we overthrow the law then? By this faith, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So the boasting's all gone. There's nothing we could say, nothing nothing we could add, nothing we could do. Nothing he looks and says, oh, you're a little bit better, or thank you for doing that. It's all Christ. So this law of faith, when he talks about that, not by the works of the law, but by the law of faith, as we trust in Jesus Christ, the law of faith, in a sense, is, is how we begin to glorify God. That's kind of where we started in this message. How we begin to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Because you're a Christian now, because he has fully and freely saved you, apart from the works of the law, you may now live by faith and in faith and faithfully. Right? By the, but that's what we We're not trying to work our salvation or our sanctification. We are living by faith in Jesus Christ who loved us. And we're looking to him and we want to glorify him. That's how we're strengthening our faith. It's not this thing. Well, now I'm a Christian. I'm going to try harder, be better. No, 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 no. I'm going to serve my Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be obedient to him. And that's how it happens by the spirit. It's not this thing like I know there are disciplines and we could be built up in that. But it's more of who we are in Christ and less of what we try to do. You know what I mean? It's It's not like that as such. We glorify him. Because of what he's done in us. So we glorify him. And what's that mean? What's that look like for us? When, it's, when he says that we're living by this law of faith. All of us who believe in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, we're one in him. And it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So, so what is that law of faith? It's, it's so much. But just a few things very quickly. Number one, we glorify him with deep, unwavering, unending commitment to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we're committed to Christ with an unassailable trust in him that nothing's going to break our trust. and I will always trust in Jesus Christ no matter what. I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to trust in his word. and I'm going to trust in his promises. He's glorified in that. That's how we glorify him and enjoy him forever. By trusting him. There's nobody else. There's nothing else that I trust more than Christ. And if you don't line up with Christ and his word, then I'm going to turn away. I'm going to go to Christ. That glorifies him. We glorify him as we come to worship him. As we praise him. As he commands us to praise him. Not as we think we should praise him that's a big deal when we come before him when we come into his house when we come to his word he tells us how we are to worship and serve him we don't say oh here god here's what i'm going to do for you i hope you like this aspect of worship i hope you like this song because i'm bringing it to you god says "No, no 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 here's how you're going to worship me and we glorify him when we worship him as we ought to. We glorify him as our lives continue to be shaped by his word and not by the world. That's a big deal. Is your life shaped by the word of God? Is that your worldview in Christ? Or is it outside influence? Is it the world that's shaping your worldview and what you believe and what you hold to? Right? This happens in the church all the time. That we're not, we continue to be shaped by the world and not by the word. So whatever the culture's saying, the trend that's going on, the latest fad, the latest cause finds its way into the church. Ten years ago, would there be an evangelical church talking about critical race theory and making room for that in their churches? I don't think so. Well, maybe somewhat on the fringe there, but now it's coming in more and more to the churches. We're capitulating to the world instead of standing on the word of God. That's what glorifies him. Not when we give in to the worldly way so we kind of get along with the world and so they don't come after us. This is how we glorify God. This is living by faith, man. This is what it looks like. I'm putting legs on this for you so you can see. We glorify him as we confess our sins. When you confess your sins with contrition, when you own it, And here's a commitment to turn away from that sin, not just in a silly little way, oh God, I'm sorry, move on, I'm forgiven, I can go keep on sinning. No, when there's deep contrition, when you feel it in your heart and in your soul that you've sinned against your creator. And there's deep remorse for that. And there's a commitment not to go that way again, turning to the Lord and not minimizing your sin, not rationalizing, not justifying your sin like so many do, even accept your sin. More and more in the Christian evangelical world, people are just accepting sin as if it's just another thing. Oh, well, you know, again, 20, 30, 40 years ago, there are things that we accept in the church we never would accept it because they're not biblical. We've lowered the bar. We've lowered the standard. We got to get back to that. That doesn't glorify God. We glorify God. With sacrificial counting the cost for the cause of Christ obedience in our lives. Christianity is not some like you could have it all kind of shallow Christianity, you know that avoids. I'm sorry, that avoids pain at all costs. That's not Christianity. It's sacrificial. It's counting the cost of it when it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ in our obedience. It's going to hurt. It's going to cause pain. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be difficult. Or you can make the choice like so many do to say, no, 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 no. I'm just going to kind of compromise here, take a little bit off the edge there, so we avoid this over here. That's not, that's not, that doesn't glorify God. That's not faithful. That's not the law of faith, as it were, in living for him in that way. We glorify him when we stand for truth in a world that's filled with lies. Far too many Christians are willing to compromise for the sake of acceptance with the world or peace with the world. We just are. We're just we're not standing for the truth. We glorify God when we bravely and boldly in times of trouble and trial stand for him as we live bravely, as we live boldly as Christians in times of trial and trouble instead of fearful compromise with the twisted culture. This is how we glorify God. This is the law of faith. This are the things that you do, that we do as Christians and say, no, man, we're not going to go along with it because the word says that. Here's what the word teaches and here's what we're going to do. I've been justified in Christ. I've been redeemed in Christ. He propitiated my sins. I belong to him. He's my master. I'm serving him, not myself and not the world. When it comes to the word over that line, and I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're my wife. I don't care if you're my kid. I don't care if you're my best friend. If it's not lined up with the words, I say no to you, and yes, to Christ. Amen? There should be an amen after that. Matthew 10.28 says this. We've capitulated so much. Don't fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who destroys both body and soul in hell. Who do you fear more, man or God? goes on. Philippians 1.27-28 only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ as Luke was praying earlier so that whether i come and see you or i am absent i may hear of you i may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not and check this out not frightened in anything by your opponents don't be afraid not frightened anything your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Don't you love that? I'm not going to be afraid of you. We're standing in humble boldness before our enemies and before the world. Don't show them, oh, I'm so afraid. What are they going to do to me? They need to see that you're not afraid. And when they see that, they know God is at work. And then finally, Hebrews 13:6. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. This is how we glorify God. And finally, when he says this, do we then overthrow the law by faith, by this faith? No, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And here it is. When we realize that the law of God is not the pathway of salvation, it's not the way to salvation, but it shows our need for salvation and it points us to Christ, we understand it. And when it becomes more, as Christians for us, When he talks about upholding the law, it becomes not this hard thing, like, ah, the law of God, ah, the law of God's good. No, it becomes a sweet, it becomes sweet to us, a sweet desire for us, a reflection of the change that he's wrought in us. So David says this, and I'll end here with Psalm 119, beginning in verse 97. Listen to what David says oh how I and this is what it means when he says we uphold the law the law has been satisfied it shows us our sin Christ keeps it for us it's it's no longer just like condemning us Now it's that sweetest, oh, now I love this law. Now I want to do what God wants me to do, right? This is my desire to walk in a manner worthy of my calling, to love him as I ought to, to love my neighbor as I ought to in Christ Jesus. So it says this in Psalm 119, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all day long. Everything we're talking about in this sermon is coming through as David writes this. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the age, for I have kept your precept. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Amen and praise God. In these ways, when Paul's talking about these things here, it's not just technical theology, the theology behind it, but it leads to something in our lives and it shows itself and it works itself out in these ways. And this is how we uphold that law of faith. This is how we glorify God, the God who loves us, who sent his son to save us, and whose spirit renews us. Live for Christ.